so much. This is my first night speaking here in this building. It's, woo! It's a little intimidating, but I can't see any of you guys anyway, so that's fine. Um, most of you know that my husband, Brian, got into a car accident last month. And getting that phone call or actually that text, he literally texted me, oh my gosh, I was just in a car accident. It triggered other memories. 21 years ago, I lost my best friend in a car accident. So immediately, I started having not a panic attack, but I went into panic mode. You know, I felt like there was this elephant on my chest. I couldn't breathe. And, you know, rationally, I mean, he sent me a text. So he was obviously alive, but I couldn't stop freaking out. You know, I, 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 I started praying immediately. I had to go straight to my source and God, thank you for, I started thanking him right away. Thank you for him being alive. Thank you that he's going to come home to me tonight. Thank you that I know you have a plan for his life. And I know that you love God. Uh, you love Brian more than me. So, but right now I'm freaking out. So I need your peace and I need your comfort. And I had to say this and pray this over and over and over again, just to get me through the next like 10 minutes. This wasn't like over a long period of time. This was literally like 10 minutes. Um, because he's my best friend. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't imagine my life without him. So, and although he's okay, he suffered a concussion of the spine and the neck and the back. And, um, he's not able to do much around the house. And, you know, when we first got, we've been married 15 years and we split the chores. So I had to take out the garbage and clean the toilets. And so, boo. And some of you are saying, so I do that all the time. And, but I want to let you know that the week Brian got in his car accident is the first time I have cleaned the toilet or taken out the garbage in 15 years. That's applaudable. I get it. Some of you are going like, how'd she get away with that? Brian must be a sucker. Um, <laughs> shh, it's a secret. But what I want you to know is it's more than that. When, right before we got married, he said, Kimberly, name one chore you never want to do. I said, I don't like to do toilets, that hole where people's tiny goes, bleh, it's gross. And he said, I'm making a promise to you right now that I will try for you never to have to do that. And I was like, really? Gosh, this is crazy. And he, I said, why? He goes, I want to spend the rest of my life, Kimberly, trying to outserve you. And I was like, like a competition? He said, no, I want to out, I want to serve you for the rest of our life. So 15 years. So I clean the toilet and I love them all that more. Many of you are shocked because this is not the norm. This is not the norm. It's not that Brian loves me well. He does. I am loved well, but serving is a part of his life. It's ingrained in his DNA. I can give you numerous examples. We would, I could take all night of how he serves me and our kids and the people in our lives and you guys. And it's not just because that's the way he was raised. It's not just because he's a pastor. I know plenty of pastors out there that don't do toilets. <laughs> Brian serves well because of his love for Jesus. Brian serves well because of the sacrifice of the cross. The scripture we're going to look at tonight is the heart of Christianity. It explains the cross and it tells us why Jesus came and for what. So I'm going to give you a minute. It's going to be up on the screen, but we're going to go into Mark 10, 
Mark 10. I got these little 45. Mark 10, 4, 5. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me read that again. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I've been a Christian 20 years, you guys, and every time I read that, I am blown away. Jesus came not to be served, which would be his birthright, he is the king, but to serve us and to give his life for many. That's what sacrifice is. This sets apart him apart from every other founder of any other religion. It's not just some gathering where this was a teacher and he was a guy and he got a whole bunch of radical disciples and said, hey, let's live like this. Let's start a revolution. This is more than that. He, Jesus is telling his disciples that he has come into this world to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life for all of us. That's crazy. This is unheard of. So either Jesus is the son of God or he is basically a lunatic. Those are our two choices. He, no other teacher has said, I am here to give my life for you guys to be served, to serve others. Jesus is not saying serve the way I serve. This is the man, the son of man, son of God saying, I am here to serve you. Jesus purpose and this, this verse says, was to die and to be a sacrifice. And the final phrase, to give his life as a ransom for many, sums up the reason why he had to die. Jesus came to be a substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus came to be a substitutionary sacrifice. This word in Greek means instead of, in place of. Jesus came to be in place of. He came to say that someone has to pay the debt. I will pay that ransom that you possibly, you never could possibly do. And I will buy your freedom. The payment is Jesus' death on the cross. This is hard to grasp. When I first became a Christian, I thought, well, why, if God's God, why can't he just take care of this? Why do you have to sacrifice his son? If God is really loving, why doesn't he just forgive everybody and just call it a day? Why did Jesus have to go through the suffering and the sacrifice? Jesus didn't have to die to despite God's love. He had to die because of God's love. It had to be this way because all life-changing love is a sacrifice. All life-changing love is a sacrifice. Think about it. If you love a person who has no, ma- no major needs and isn't all put together, it costs you nothing. But if you have loved, if you've ever loved anybody who is needy or troubled or emotionally wounded, it's going to cost. This can be difficult. You can't love them without taking a hit yourself. A transfer of some kind is required. You, so somehow their troubles, their issues, their problems sometimes are transferred to you. Loving broken people is hard. And let's be honest, guys, including myself, there are a lot of wounded people out there. 
They're emotionally sinking, hurting, and they are desperate to be loved. Desperate to be loved. And you know, sometimes we got to be honest with ourselves when we're listening to this or they're pouring out. Sometimes we're looking at our watches, just trying to find a way to escape because it's exhausting when people are pouring out their troubles and their, their issues on you. And the only way to start filling up them emotionally, the only way that they know that someone loves them is if someone takes a hit for them. And the only way we can fill their cup is for us to be emotionally drained. Again, if you've ever counseled with anybody or if anybody's come to you with a problem, it can be very emotionally draining. Some of our fullness is going to have to go into them to a certain degree. If we hold on to our emotional comfort because you're like, oh no, you're scary, and simply avoid people, what happens to them? They sink. People need others to love them. The only way to love them is to sacrifice. The only way to love is to sacrifice. Think of parenting. Whew. I have three, my, I have three kids of my own. Our children, they're in a state of constant dependency, constant dependency. They have so many needs. They can't stand on their own. And basically, they're not going to just grow out of dependency. Because I've known some 40-year-old men, not my husband, that is not, I mean, they're still like, really? You're 40? Okay. And essentially, to be a parent means you abandon your independence for like 20 years or so. There's all these things we've got to do for them so they don't become screwed up. It's a long, long list. One of them is we've got to read to them. Now, I'm a reader. I love to read. I can read a book a week. I can read a book a day if I had the time. And we have to read because they say to, otherwise they won't like, especially the boys, they won't like to read if you don't read to them. And a lot of those children books are boring. I'm a teacher. I love the books. I'm telling you a lot of those books. So my son, but we have to read to them so that they can learn to read and they can grow up to read. My son Landon was obsessed with dinosaur and shark books. Okay? Not my forte. <laughs> and in fact, there was only two books he wanted us to read. So for, I literally think almost a year and a half, we read these two books. At three, he could read along, even though he couldn't read. He had memorized the books because we read them so much. So up here, I've got a whole bunch of knowledge about Ankylosaurus, T-Rexes, you know, Silophysis. I don't care. Or is that Mr. Snuffleupagus? Anyway, I mean, I just, I love Sesame Street, but I had all these, because I had to read these same boring books to Landon over and over and over again. Because I wanted my son to love reading. So I did. I sacrificed. And then there's the dressing, the bathing, the feeding, the cleaning, the sports, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes you just go, God. In fact, I think I did it last weekend. Maybe today. God, is this all worth it? Is this worth it? And he says, Kimberly, unless you sacrifice much of your freedom and a good bit of your time, your children will not grow up to be healthy and function. We have to make the sacrifice. If you're a parent or you remember your parents, they made lots of sacrifices. 
Unfortunately, there are a lot of parents who don't. And you might be part of that. They won't disrupt their lives much. They won't clear a path of time out of their schedule. They won't pour into their kids because it's draining. They won't make that sacrifice. And their kids will grow up physically. We all do. But still, they're needy, emotionally vulnerable and dependent. And we all know people like this. You can make the sacrifice or they are going to make the sacrifice. Let me say that again. Either you make the sacrifice now or your children will make the sacrifice later. And we know that as parents, but it's hard. Remember what I said earlier, all life changing love is a sacrifice. Sacrifice is at the heart of love. And we know that anybody who's done anything in our lives that had meant anything, whether a parent, a teacher, a friend, a spouse, we know that they had to sacrifice in some way, step in and accept some of the hits for us. Think about some of the people in your life. You know that they had to sacrifice for you. Therefore, it makes sense. This totally makes sense. If we're willing to make sacrifices for our children, and we're willing to make sacrifices for our friends, and Brian is willing to clean the toilets for 15 years, all these things we do for others, then the God who's more loving than you and I, he would come into this world to deal with the ultimate evil, the ultimate sin, and he's coming to give the ultimate sacrifice. You can't just overlook evil. It cannot be dealt with, removed, or healed by saying, forget about it. It's all good. I mean, could you imagine if that's how people did forgiveness? It must be paid for, and the cost is is high. The debt has to be paid, and God is so incredibly loving that he said, I'm willing to die in order to do this myself. The only way Jesus could redeem us was to give his life as a ransom. There had to be an exchange, a substitute, instead of, replace of. God can't just say, I forgive everybody, this big blanket forgiveness, because that would make it cheap. That would make it cheap. He can say, let there be light, and there be light. He, can, he created and said, there's stars and the moon, and they, they were there. But it doesn't work that way, forgiveness, because it, forgiveness doesn't work that way. God created the world in an instant, and it was a beautiful process. Seven days, an instant. He recreated the world on the cross, and it was a horrible process. Our innocent Savior, with no sin of his own, hung up there for us, knowing that many of us would reject him. But real love that changes things, life-changing love is always a sacrifice. And God and Jesus knew that. True sacrifice, true sacrifice can't be done without Jesus. True sacrifice can't be done humbly. We have a lot of martyrs. Cannot be done without Jesus. We're going to go back to the verses right before uh, verse 45. And we'll see the disciples learning another lesson on what sacrifice looks like. So Mark, we're going to Mark 10, 35. 
where'd it go then james and john the son of zebedee came to him teachers they said we want you to do for us whatever we ask that's kind of brave what do you want me to do for you he asked they replied let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory you don't know what you're asking jesus said can you drink the cup i drink or be baptized with the baptism i am baptized with we can they answered jesus said to them you will drink the cup i drink and be baptized with the baptism i am baptized with but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these places belong to those whom they've been prepared when the ten heard this they became indignant with james and john let's break this down now the first part of these verses is just right embarrassing jesus is saying telling them in the previous verses that he's going to jerusalem to die and what are these two yahoos doing saying hey i know you're gonna go die but when you get there can i kind of hang out up there on your left and your right because the right was for the second and the left was for the third in in the the chain of command and are you kidding me Jesus is going to be betrayed, rejected, and killed. And these guys are saying, Ooh, I want to go. I'm going to be up top with you. They're looking at where they are on the totem pole. You might be be tempted to say, How are these guys missing this? But I want you to look a little deeper and say, How am, what am I missing about the truth of the cross? When we hear the disciples respond to like, Oh, that's nice that you're going to go die. And that kind of sucks for you. But do you mind if I sit up on the right or your left? If they hung out with Jesus and they don't understand the magnitude of what the cross really means, it's hard for us too sometimes. Our pride, our arrogance, our sin, our egotistical thinking, all, all, all our junk gets in the way of truly seeing the truth of the cross. And Jesus said to him, you don't know what you're asking. He confronts them and says, are you willing to do, endure what I'm about to suffer? When Jesus uses the word cup, he's talking about life experience. And when he uses the word baptized, he's talking about submerged or immersed. He's basically saying, I am about ready to be submerged in an experience, a life experience that you cannot even imagine. Are you ready for this? Can you do this? And they're like, yep, we got it. We can do this. These guys have no idea what Jesus is going to suffer. They they just kind of missed the point. They didn't grasp their leader, Jesus Christ, is going to was headed to the cross. All they could see was the crown and the glory and the big throne, and they wanted to be the second and third guy up there. They wanted the crown without the cross. They wanted the glory without the pain. They wanted the reward without having to pay the price. Jesus tells them, you will experience some of the stuff I experienced. All the disciples, except for John, were martyred. And John was greatly persecuted for his faith. But they didn't have to suffer the way Jesus had to suffer. And he lets them know that the positions in in the kingdom, they're not something he can be just like, yeah, you you rocked it while you were here. You were better than this guy. This guy, (laughs) he was kind of sketchy. So yeah, that's not mine to give out. That's the will of a sovereign God. So what, how about the other 10 disciples? It says in those verses, it says, when the other 10 heard about this, they were indignant. They were P.O.'d. And again, Jesus is going to die. He's told them, I'm going to die twice now. And, and they say, 
oh no you didn't james and john i can't believe that's what they're focused on they're like like, oh my gosh jesus is dying no they're just like can you believe that james and john this is like a high school cheerleading squad all kind of arguing amongst each other and when jesus sees the disciples still don't get it which is good news for us that are a little bit slow on getting things i mean the disciples hung out with jesus all the time and they didn't get it so if you're one of the slow ones who have have trouble getting it good news because they didn't either jesus says now we're in mark 10 42 through 44 let's see how jesus responds jesus calls them together and says you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be a slave to all. Not so with you. With those words, Jesus basically overturned the value structure of the world. Here's what the world holds true. Uh, Power, money, prestige, fame. And what is Jesus saying? Service, love, humility. He overturned it. Jesus is talking about how most people try to influence society. If I have, if I have power, if I have wealth, if I have connections, I get my way. He laid out this principle in Jeremiah. The Israelite nation had been destroyed by Babylon and many of the, the people, the Israelites were made slaves. And how are they, how are they supposed to respond to this? What were they supposed to do? Should they keep to themselves and kind of be like, oh, those Babylonians, they, they're horrible. Kind of like how we get in our little Christian bubble and be like, oh, those non-Christians, woo, scary. So we build this little Christian bubble around us. Or they could try to infiltrate using guerrilla tactics or, or political propaganda and try to beat them into to submission and overtake them and overthrow, overthrow Babylon. But what did God say? In Jeremiah 29, verse 7, he says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into. Pray to the Lord for it, because if, if it prospers, you too will prosper. If it prospers, you too will prosper. I want you to serve your neighbors even when they don't speak the same language. I want you to serve your neighbors, even when they don't believe what you believe. And I don't want you to do this out of duty or obligation. Pray for it in, in verse 29, seven is another way of saying, love it, love that city, pray for that city, seek peace, seek prosperity. If Babylon or Tucson prospers through your service, you prosper too. For God says you, the route for you to gain influence, peace and prosperity is not through taking power. He's saying influence gained through power and control doesn't change society. It doesn't change hearts. God says, I'm calling you to a different approach. Be so sacrificially loving 
so that the people around you are in awe, not to give the glory to you, but to give the glory to him. They will trust you and know that you're not out only for yourself. You're not out with the world, the power, the prestige, the money, the fame. But you're out for the humility, the service, the love. When they voluntarily look up to you, because of the attractiveness of your service and your love, not the other things of the world you could give them, you will have true influence. It's an influence given to you by others, not an influence taken, which is what a lot of people in the world do today. God doesn't want us to lord or hoard over people and, and use our knowledge and our Bible thumping and beat people into, you will love Jesus. He wants us to serve everyone. He didn't, I mean, they're in captivity. The Babylon, the Babylonians just destroyed their nation. Jesus came not only to give his life, but he came to serve others, even his enemies. How did Jesus respond to his enemies? The king of kings, the son of God, I think he'd be coming out like on a Russell Crowe gladiator moment, you know, with the, the chariots and the silver and the gold and the white horses. Show his power by smashing those Romans rulers that were crazy and all those perverted temple people doing whatever they do over there and demand that people follow him. It's his birthright. He's the king. If anyone walked on this earth deserved to be served, it was Jesus. He knew when he came, he was going to die. He could have been like, hey, wash my feet. It's dirty out here. But that's not how he acted. Instead, he walked many dusty miles, preached to all types of people. He could have come into this world as a king and had a palace and servants and wealth. And instead, he was born in a stable in poverty. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. He could have smashed his enemies, calling all those bad angels and his legions of angels and said, you will bow down to me. And he didn't do that. He died for their sins. And as he was dying, he prayed for them. They don't know what they do. Get this elements. If at the heart of your worldview is a man that is willing to die for his enemies, then the way you're going to win influence in this city, in this society, with your family, and in this world is through service and love rather than power and control. If your worldview is filtered through the cross, this city needs Jesus. But it's going to take some sacrifice. And sacrifice is hard. It's difficult. No one's like, me, 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 me. How can we escape this selfishness? How, I mean, it's our natural instinct to be, no, you guys, my husband's a pastor. And there are some times where I was like, dear gosh, no, not one more person. I have to give him rules and boundaries going into Home Depot. You get three people to talk to that fourth person next time. <laughs> Otherwise we could be there forever. Brian, we're going to the grocery store. I need to know your game plan. We got 15 minutes. You can only talk to one person. Sacrifice is hard. How do we escape this? How do we get past this? We need to look beyond ourselves 
It's not about us. We need to look at Jesus. And I know that sounds so simple, but so many times we don't. I can't do this. I need me time. I'm, I'm an introvert, blah, blah, blah. We have all kinds of excuses. That's for Brian and Kimberly. That's for Jack and Amy. That's for those people. Thank God I'm not in ministry. But if we truly believe that Jesus is indeed the, uh, the ultimate sacrifice, if you believe that Jesus died on that cross and paid for your sins, if you think that Jesus has proved to us with his death that in our that we are worth everything to him, then everything we need is in him. It is all a gift to us by grace. All of this. All of this is a gift of grace. We don't do good do these good things in a service or these acts and deeds to feel better about ourselves or to connect with God. God doesn't need you to be like, oh, thank you. I did this for you, buddy. What, how insignificant is that? Compared to understanding the re, what we receive for understanding why Jesus died for us and how much he loves us. If you really understand the cross, then we're blasted into a community with joyful humility saying, I don't need to help people. I want to help people. Because of the one who died for me. We're not making these hygiene kits because God needs it. We're doing it because we have a city out there who is, who they're struggling. And we need to serve them. Just like the Israelites were just to serve in Babylon. Only the gospel, only the cross can give you the motivation for this unselfish living. Because no matter what, you're always going to go back to me, 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 me. It's too much. It's too hard. People stink. They're too needy. It's emotionally draining. It's hard. People are messy. They're actually annoying. Just kidding. Jesus says, be my disciples. Don't serve me. Be my disciples. Yes, drink my cup. Yes, be baptized with me. Yes, serve others. Yes, be a slave to all. That's what it means to follow me. But don't miss this part. What Jesus is calling them to do to follow him is totally and utterly impossible without him giving them what they need. They couldn't do it. Again, Jesus said, I'm going to die. And they're like, hey, can I go be sitting up here with you? They couldn't do it, and we couldn't do it. We can't do it. There's no way we can live contrary to the world. There's no way that we can have different, totally different values and ideas and ways of thinking if we are not connected to Jesus. We need Jesus to serve us, to give us what we need, to enable us, to empower us, to live out the life he's put before us. We cannot do it without him. We're too selfish. When Jesus says, give to the poor, he's saying, I have treasures for you. Trust me to serve you. I have treasures for you that nothing can compare in this world. When Jesus is saying to the husband and wife, love them even when they're difficult. Husband, I will give you what you need to lay down your life for your family. 
Wife, I will give you what you need to submit and respect your husband. I will serve you. I will do that. Mom or dad, when Jesus says, you have to love your children and your teenagers and your two-year-old toddlers, even through difficult times, he's saying, trust me to give you the wisdom, the discernment, the love to say the right thing at the right time. Trust me to do these things in your life. When Jesus calls you to walk through the dark valleys, whether it be pain or sickness or finances or whatever dark valley you might be in, Jesus is saying, trust me to give you the strength, to give you the hope, to give you the love and the life that only can come from me. I, Jesus, want to get you through this. Trust me to serve you. Everything Jesus calls us to do is his way of saying, here's how I want to serve you. And his service enables us to live this kind of unselfish life. To be his disciple, to follow him. That's good news, you guys. Should be like, oh, that's cool. He came to die for us. And not to be served, but to serve us. That's good news. This is not just another religious teacher saying, here's 600 ways to live. Good luck with you. Woohoo! I'm rooting for you. Yay! Go Christians. This is not just a superior morals to live by. This is grace and mercy. This is Christ enabling you to live this out. The Christian life is a moment to moment, day by day, of trusting Jesus to serve you. That's great news, you guys. How can I do this? You keep might be still asking. How can I sacrifice for others when it goes against my very nature? It takes so much time and effort and resources. You guys, filling other people's cups is emotionally exhausting. How do you do it? How do you keep doing it? I'm going to be honest. I've asked this question a lot. I can't do it. I've asked to be fired numerous times. Not from my teaching job, from this job. I've tried to be fired on the way in here. Jesus, I don't want to do this. I'm telling them I'm quitting. I said it as a joke, but not really. How can I do this? And he says, John 15, 5. It's one of my favorite verses. It's one of my life verses. I am the vine. You are the branches. Anybody who remains in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot drink my cup. You cannot be baptized. You cannot endure my baptize, baptism. You cannot serve each other. You cannot be a slave to other people. To do any of this, you must abide in me. You must trust me to serve you. In order to be the wife you're supposed to be, in order to be the husband you're supposed to be, in order to be the parent you're supposed to be, in order to be the friend or any of those things you, that you're, that, to follow Jesus, you have to abide in him. Apart from him, you can do nothing. 
The Christian life is a matter of getting up every morning and saying, I need you. I need you to get up. I need you to walk. I need you to talk. I need you to breathe. Every single thing I do today, I'm dependent on your grace and your presence in me. I trust you to serve me, Jesus. Cry out to him because you know that you cannot do this yourself. You cannot get rid of your own sin. You cannot be experience the life that you were created for. You cannot serve others continually. It will eventually wear very thin. You cannot do any of this stuff. Unless you have Jesus. He has to serve you. He has to cleanse you of your sin. He has to transform you from the inside out. Why? Some of you might be sitting there. Why on earth should I do this anyway? It sounds a little intense, Kimberly. Why should Brian clean toilets for 15 years? Why should we get up here even though I'm terrified and I've sweat through all my clothes? Why? Because of the cross. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Real life changing love requires a sacrifice. And that's any kind of sacrifice, true sacrifice, cannot be done without Jesus. Apart from me, you, 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 you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for, for who you are and for your amazing, amazing love. And Lord, thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for not making your, this forgiveness cheap. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross. Thank you that you gave us a son who came to be served, to serve and not to be served. Lord, that's just amazing to me. Lord, help us to understand the truth of the cross. Help us to, to take off the blinders and, and the, oh, let's, let's do anything we can do for him today. Let's see the truth of the cross revealed to us. Lord, break our hearts. Know that every day we need to get up and cry out to you and say, Lord, I need you moment by moment. Thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you for your son. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.